Thanks for listening to the Q&A podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sundays, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. Hello and welcome back to the Q&A podcast. I said we would do four episodes exploring the intersection of science and faith, and it has turned into five. I can't believe it. Uh, But I'm back again with uh, Matthew Crossgree, one of our in-house science teachers, and Kelly Walters sadly couldn't join us today. But we've got one last shot to tackle one final topic, and that is the origins of humanity. Uh, Last episode, if you were listening in, we talked in depth about evolution, uh, what that term means, what areas of the theory are proven, and which areas still have gaps and weaknesses. And we pointed out that while uh, microevolution is something that we can watch, uh, and the survival of the fittest is a well-established principle, there are still some major issues with the grand theory of macroevolution. And as a result, you've got scientists who, on the science alone, uh, are turning to different versions of intelligent design, Uh, while at the same time, uh, you have scientists stating that a Darwin's theory of evolution, as originally stated, just doesn't seem to get us to where we are today. Uh, And I personally think that if Darwin were alive, he would actually agree, uh, based on the information that we have and the writings of his that that we have. Uh, But you have people who point out that, hey, we still have no idea how to get from, uh, how to get life from non-life. And we still can't explain how the first cells uh, could have organized themselves. Uh, We have what we would call irreducible complexity uh, on all sorts of levels that would suggest that things uh, couldn't have randomly come together Uh, and that we don't have a naturally occurring force that would have encouraged them uh, to do so. And in addition to all that, uh, when you look in the fossil record, uh, oftentimes we don't see the slowly branching tree that Darwin suggested, uh, but oftentimes what we do see are almost separately emerging uh, blades of grass in, in which new species sort of burst onto the scene fully formed and stable. And there are plenty of other issues that we don't have time to talk about, uh, but those are just some that we mentioned uh, last week. And uh, kind of do mutations actually work as the driving force of macroevolution, improving and and jumping from uh, system to system or from form to form? How could you possibly get uh, the complexity of DNA and even the simplest life forms, let alone uh, conscious beings, in in kind of a, a randomly Uh, generated universe and kind of on and on it goes and so you've got these debates uh, already swirling around the theory of evolution and the origins of life in the universe and you've got a naturalism on one side that's saying hey we think this was all random chance Uh, and you've got intelligent design on the other side saying hey this couldn't possibly be random chance. And in fact, all this evidence points pretty consistently in our minds to an intelligent creator behind the universe. 
So that's the big picture debate is sort of naturalism versus intelligent design. Where does uh, scientific evidence lead? Uh, could random chance in a purposeless universe possibly account for life as we know it? And you've got tons of people inside and outside of the church saying, no, it, it simply doesn't. And so you've got all of these debates surrounding the origins of all of life in the universe, which is sort of what we hit on last week. Uh, but then you've got a unique set of issues surrounding the origins of humanity. And I think uh, as we open the pages of scripture, we'll see why the human question is not only the most important, but perhaps the most uh, controversial as well. And so that's where we're headed today. We've got one last shot at this. Uh, and as always, uh, we want to start with the scientific consensus on the topic, if only because it's a little easier to delineate. And then we'll move from there into what the scriptures have to say. So Matthew, mm -hmm. um, I'll turn it over to you. What is the scientific uh, or even the naturalistic explanation of human origins? Where did we come from? Yeah, so there's an interesting um, idea that's called the out of Eden or out of Africa hypothesis that basically puts our origin, even just completely, like you said, naturalistically, um, through evolutionary means, that the human race, m what we would call modern humans, uh, developed somewhere maybe in the region of Ethiopia, right. um, kind of in that northeastern sort of part of Africa. And uh, there's some debate as to what do we even call a human. Mm -hmm. um, so today we only see one species of human. So mm -hmm. we, we regard ourselves as, as quite unique, and we really are when you look at the natural world, uh, the animal kingdom. But our, our closest relatives that still live today are chimpanzees. Mm -hmm. And so there's a common sort of misquoting of the evolutionary theory where people say, oh, we, we came from monkeys or we came from chimps. Right. Um, but a clearer picture of that would be that we share a recent common ancestor with okay. chimps. Mm -hmm. um, so somewhere, uh, I'm probably going to get some of these dates wrong. I don't have notes in front of me or anything. Right, right, but right. Um, something like six to eight million years ago is when they think our lineage split from chimpanzees mm -hmm. or what led to chimps. And from that split, uh, many different hominin species, which are human-like mm -hmm. sorts of species and even genus, uh, there are about three different genus that uh, existed, kind of sprung up from that. And so these are, are still early predecessors to humans, not quite human yet, mm -hmm. but one of them um, actually came along and the genus Homo came about. So for those of you who may not be familiar, humans... Modern humans are called Homo sapiens, yes. but we're actually further designated as Homo sapiens sapiens. <laughs> <laughs> and they had to do that when they, um, it, it's pretty interesting, the, the evolutionary story and, and different hypotheses within the evolutionary framework are quite often reinterpreted and refit to try to construct this tree of life or mm -hmm. uh, uh, evolutionary relationships among organisms. Right. And that happens extraordinarily often with humans and these hominin species. So what, what you mean is they're constantly shuffling the yes, way how yeah. the tree is formed. Yeah we, yeah, we find a new, what seems to be an, uh, a fossil of a new species we hadn't uh, found before, and we say, oh, maybe this is the missing link, right? Right, because that's what people talk about. Yeah, the missing, exactly. The missing, the missing link. link is going, yeah. okay, so what was, 
the species before we became who we are today. Right. What was the precursor to modern humans? Exactly. Yeah. And so a as we find these, we think, oh, maybe this is the missing link. And then we find out, no, actually, it couldn't be. Okay. Um, through different anim anatomical studies and, and things, we say, well, it's more like a cousin. Right. You know, it had to be a separate branch of our evolutionary tree. We've mm. never found the one the one that, that would, has that led would to modern humans um, because from the naturalistic explanation you're looking for a a pre-human ancestor that then experienced some kind of mutation exactly. correct that kind of made this jump into modern yeah, humans yeah. yeah so uh anatomically modern humans we think existed for uh, about 200,000 years ago mm -hmm. but behaviorally modern hu humans only go back maybe 50 to 100,000 years ago mm -hmm. there's some uh debate there but basically that means that we see all the the anatomical features and things go back farther than what our uh, brains probably allowed behaviorally so complex mm -hmm. thought abstract thinking things like that mm -hmm. um, and so we see almost this big bang of culture right and and tool use and yeah. communication language, language yeah. all yeah. these things uh, back around that you know 70 80 thousand years ago okay um, so evolutionary uh, hypotheses and, and theory would say that we came from a uh, an ape, a, a primate mm -hmm. that uh, also gave rise to chimps, but mm -hmm. on our branch it kind of split off into things like Neanderthal you've probably heard of and right. then other things like Homo erectus mm -hmm. or Lucy, Australopithecus afarensis is the, the name of that one. Mm -hmm. And so there's all these other branches that as much as they want to find this missing link, the direct predecessor to us, we you know, they haven't nailed that down yet. Okay, so we have these other human-like, human-looking, yes. mm -hmm. oh, you know, have two legs and two arms and that right. sort of deal, um, but still looking for the, the infamous missing link, as right. we call it, between, well, how would you get from there to humanity? Yeah. Um, and what, maybe this will distract us, but that's what okay. happened to all the other, you know, why is it just humans and... Right. And, no, and that's, that's a great primates, question. Yeah. It's, it's what happened to all these other species. They seem to be pretty successful in their day. Right. Um, you know, Homer, Homo erectus, like I brought up, he, uh, we find evidence of them spanning about two million years. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, after all that time, how did they mm -hmm. finally go extinct? And it could have been just some, some random change they weren't ready for or something else. Um, but the, the likely cause would be um, predation or even, you know, you might call it war if they were really human-like mm. uh, between modern humans and okay. these other hominids. Competition. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it could just huh. be competition. There, there are a lot of different theories about why we seem to be the only hominids left. Mm. Um, and then I was also going to just mention, we, last week we spent a lot of time talking about different definitions of evolution. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. so I think that sort of idea applies here to different definitions of human. Mm -hmm. So right. most of the time when we say human, we really mean modern humans in the way we exist totally. today. Yeah. Whereas yeah, yeah. biologists, um, evolutionists, w if they say the term human, they really do encapsulate all those other right. know, uh, primates that have larger uh, cranial capacities for bigger brains and walk totally. on two legs and within the last million or two years now uh, we'll call them all human right so just to kind of right, right. well that that, that, that does become important when you have yeah. the, the debate or even try and figure out like hey now i'm opening up the scriptures and trying to figure out what this what sure. how this all fits together yeah. and so 
Um, any other thoughts before we turn our attention to the scriptures? Uh, I think that pretty well uh, establishes at least the general sort right, of right, right. Uh, history of the totally yeah, how the how naturalistic a, it yes. had to be this descent with right. modification. We know there's a missing link, even if we haven't found it. Just mm -hmm. give us time. Right. Uh, we had to come directly from some ancient species, which came from something else. Right. And, and right, right. On and on. Yes, so that would yeah. be the, the naturalist way yes. of explaining this yep. is where human beings Yeah, if you from. take any other possibility off the table, well then, of course, we had to right. come from somewhere. Totally, yeah, 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 yeah. makes sense. Okay, um, awesome, thank you for summing that up. Mm -hmm. I think we'll turn our attention for a second to um, biblical interpretation, because when we open the pages of Scripture, there are some theories that would allow for more of a, a macroevolutionary path and some that just simply don't. Sure. And so, um, just to be clear, if we take the uh, biblical stance of intelligent design, then everyone under that umbrella is going to say God is responsible. Um, and it's not random chance, uh, it's actually an intelligent creator. So, whether it was a short time or a long time, God did it. And that, uh, in my mind, is the real split. Mm -hmm. And it's the, the split that has the biggest implications. Because if you think human beings are an accident in the universe, then you're going to live one way. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you believe you were fearfully and wonderfully made um, by God and that you bear his image, then you're going to live in a very different way. Uh, and so the ultimate tension is between the naturalistic perspective and intelligent design. Um, are we made on purpose and here on purpose, or did a sort of random collisions of the right atoms and molecules eventually create uh, the conscious beings that we are today? Uh, so who or what gave birth to us? Uh, that's the hugely important question. And uh, Matthew and I are, are both on the intelligent design side mm -hmm. of that equation. So under the same umbrella um, for more reasons than we have time to mention yeah, sure. uh, today. But as a secondary question, sort of within the intelligent design uh, community, within the church, uh, we get to wrestle with how God did it. Okay, we all believe that it was God, but how did he go about it? And so you open up the pages of scripture and it starts with Genesis 1 and 2, which tell a very unique story uh, about the origins of humanity and their place within God's story. And so the question that we lovingly debate within the church is, hey, what do these pages mean when we open up uh, and start reading? And so when it comes to biblical interpretation, you've got several different camps. If you've been tracking with us through the episodes, uh, hopefully some of these sound familiar, but you've got uh, young earth creationism, which says that God created the universe in seven days, but uh, made it to look very old. You've got uh, historical creationism, which says that God created the promised land in seven days, uh, that humanity is new, but the rest of it could be quite old. And you've got uh, theistic evolution, which says that uh, God just used the evolutionary process to create everything, uh, including human beings. Um, and so if you fall kind of within that camp of biblical interpretation, as you read through Genesis, you might be thinking, hey, this is a poetic way of talking about God, or perhaps each one of these seven days was really an era of time. 
uh, and not a literal day. And you kind of have different uh, interpretive takes on Genesis, but each of them would leave the door kind of wide open for uh, even the evolution of, of human beings in, in many places. And so, uh, and there are other theories of Genesis, of course, but these three, I think, will be illustrative for our purposes in kind of uh, running evolution through the grid of Scripture. And so uh, let's do that for a second. Um, if you're a young earth creationist, and you think the universe began a few thousand years ago, then uh, macroevolution doesn't really work as a theory because the universe is just too young, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it was created uh, in seven days a few thousand years ago. There's just no time uh, for anything to happen. Uh, you could get microevolution, right? And even uh, basic speciation. Sure. Uh, but you'd have to throw out the big story of macroevolution uh, happening over billions of years. Uh, for, from that biblical perspective, we would say humanity was created in an instant, but so were all the other plants and animals, that God spoke them into existence in, in a moment of time during a seven-day period. So that's one. Uh, in historical creationism, or what I would call the promised land theory, uh, the timeline is actually wide open for the creation of everything except human beings. And so um, that's John Salehammer and his book, uh, Genesis Unbound, which is uh, an awesome book if you haven't read it. Uh, it's probably the theory that I find the most compelling. And uh, John Salehammer interprets the Hebrew uh, to be talking about a specific plot of land, the promised land. And uh, that would allow for God to create plants and animals over any length of time. Uh, according to Salehammer, the scriptures don't say what the length of time is and they aren't interested in that question, uh, except when it comes to human beings. And, and more on that in, in a second. And, and then if you go with uh, what's all generally called the third option or theistic evolution or some variant of that theory, uh, then in that camp you're insisting that God was the one who formed life that God created every living thing, including human beings, uh, but more or less through a long evolutionary process. And so uh, you'd be stressing more of the poetic elements of Genesis. And so uh, that's a quick glimpse at three different schools of thought. Uh, but what I want to do is read the biblical account and then talk about ways that people have interpreted these. So if you're new to the Bible, uh, the scriptures begin by proclaiming that in the beginning, uh, God created the universe. Uh, God created everything that exists out of nothing. Uh, then we get a sequence of six days of creative activity. Uh, some people think God is creating the universe in six days. Uh, some people think that God is creating the promised land in six days. And others think it's just a creative or poetic way of talking about God. Uh, that perhaps Moses was led by the Spirit to use uh, the seven-day work week as a storytelling tool in which he could convey information about God and God's role in creation. And so depending on which interpretive route you take, that will affect how old you think the universe is and how quickly you think life was formed within it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so is evolution a tool that God could have used to form and shape plants and animals. Uh, well, within the church, that all depends on how you interpret Genesis. And uh, notice that this isn't a divide-for issue within the church. 
the first two chapters of the Bible, in my opinion, are the most difficult to interpret, uh, perhaps in all of Scripture. And so you can uh, study the original language and read outside sources until you're blue in the face. And at the end of the day, uh, you still won't have this perfect sort of airtight reading of Genesis 1 and 2. I don't, I don't think there is a perfect interpretation. Every theory that I've come across uh, has its own issues. And so within the church, uh, we have to approach these chapters with humility and with a spirit of uh, love and unity, uh, recognizing that we can come to different conclusions about chapters one and two and still agree on every single chapter that follows. Uh, There's something unique about the way the scriptures open. And so uh, we can still worship together in harmony and dialogue about some of these interpretive issues uh, at the same time. Uh, but I, I realize as I'm saying all this that I'm, I'm starting to get distracted. Um, so I want us to read the verses uh, where God creates Adam and Eve because this is where some of the tension lies in the human origins debate. Uh, God created the entire universe out of nothing. Every single Christian agrees with that. God created humanity in his image, in his likeness, and on purpose. Uh, every Christian agrees with that. But as we get into the weeds a bit, it's okay to ask how. Um, how do we think God did it? And this is the account that we read in Scripture. This is Genesis chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 5. It says, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth or the land, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then... The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So that's how you get Adam, Mm -hmm. um, dust and divine breath. And then a few verses later, uh, we read this. It says, The Lord God caused the man, or Adam, to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So, the image we get in Scripture is of both Adam and Eve being made uh, essentially out of nothing in an instant of time. And so uh, you read this as a Christian and you're either going to say, hey, this is literal and scientific and therefore humanity was created uh, out of dust and a rib in a moment of time. Uh, Or you're going to say that this is poetic and it doesn't tell us much about how God created humanity. Uh, Could have been a long, slow process. Or uh, you're going to say that, hey, maybe this is... um, a poetic way of saying that God breathed his spirit into a a pre-human ancestor and made him human. Uh, That in a moment of time, God caused this great jump to happen from one to another, uh, making image bearers out of some uh, precursor uh, that did not bear his image. And so those are some of the kind of options within the biblical debates. Um, And depending on where you land biblically, Uh, there may or may not be tension with some of the scientific information that we have. Um, So uh, two more quick notes, and then Matthew, I'd love to hear your thoughts uh, as well before we close. And so uh, the first thing to note 
is that there's actually some amazing consistency between the scientific information and the Bible uh, when it comes to the timeline for humanity. And I think that that's worth pointing out. So if you use uh, genealogies in the Bible to measure the age of humanity, you will end up with something as short as uh, 10,000 years or as long as 200,000 years, depending on how you trace those genealogies. Are they strict genealogies or are they loose ones? Uh, and if that language doesn't make sense, that's totally okay. <laughs> it just means there's different ways that biblical scholars try and estimate how long humanity's been around. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that lines up pretty nicely with the scientific estimates yeah. uh, that we have of when humans or homo sapiens or homo sapiens sapiens <laughs> uh, show up on the scene. And so, when you look at the Bible, uh, what you see is humanity being formed in an instant, and they are already culturally and linguistically developed. And then when you look at the fossil record, uh, we see Homo sapiens uh, show up on the scene, sort of culturally and linguistically developed, uh, settling in villages, enga engaging in agriculture, um, using language and tools and all of it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when you look at the scriptures, they show humanity coming from one male and one female. And a current modern genetic studies show that all of humanity can trace their roots back to one Y chromosomal atom and one mitochondrial Eve. And so when you kind of take a step back, just taken as a whole, scientific information and biblical information about the age and origins of humanity uh, kind of line up rather beautifully. The only real tension in my mind is how we got uh, the first male and mm -hmm. the first female. Uh, within the church, we all, we all agree that God did it, but how did he do it? And I, I personally uh, tend to think Adam and Eve actually were created in a moment of time, uh, in part because it said that God breathed uh, life into Adam and he became a living being. And, and that part's always kind of caught my attention, that to me that seems to imply life emerging from non-life. Uh, that he became a living being, which is different in my mind than, say, human emerging from non-human. And so as I kind of read through the scriptures and wrestle with it, I'd say that's the direction that I lean. But there's certainly a lot of biblical information that causes me to hold my conclusions with a loose grip. Uh, as someone who loves scripture and generally sees Adam and Eve being made in an instant uh, out of dust and, and rib, I have to admit that from a biblical perspective, it's not an open and shut case. Uh, so for example, uh, we're told that Adam was made from dust. Uh, but if you stop and think about it, uh, you don't form things from dust, <laughs> right? Like dust doesn't stick together. It doesn't form. It, it actually defies uh, being formed. Um, mud, maybe, uh, sure. but not dust. Okay, so what's the biblical significance of dust? Well, it actually shows up a, a lot in Scripture. And every single time that dust and humans are mentioned in the same sentence, it refers to mortality. So uh, right here in Genesis chapter 3, God tells Adam that he is dust, and to dust he will return. He is mortal. Uh, Psalm 103 says that we are all formed from dust. And Job prays to God and he says, hey, remember that you molded me like clay, that, that will you turn me to dust again? 
And so this idea of, um, and there's tons of other examples you can go and look up in the Bible, but this idea of forming from dust and returning to dust uh, is actually regarded as true for all of humanity, uh, which I think is interesting. Okay, so, um, is, so that kind of begs the question, is Genesis making a scientific claim about Adam's material origins, or is it making more of a metaphysical claim about the nature of what it means to be human? And as you look just within the pages of Scripture, I don't think it's as clear as I wish that it was. <laughs> um, and, and then you move on to Eve, and we've got several issues raised by the text uh, itself. And so um, first off, as you're reading that account, the word that we translate as rib uh, is actually better translated as side. And so when you look, again, just within the bounds of Scripture, cover to cover, uh, the Hebrew word, and I'll mispronounce it, but the Hebrew word salah uh, is, always tran- is always translated side and is never translated as rib, uh, which is really interesting that we mm-hmm. so consistently translate it as rib in our modern translations. But Eve uh, was taken from Adam's side. And so if I'm still reading through the text uh, in my sort of literal scientific 21st century lens, now I'm imagining in my mind Adam being put into sort of a surgical sleep, Mm -hmm. um, physically sort of cut in half so that one half can be formed into Eve. And and then he sewed back together again and wakes up from this sort of extreme maybe the most extreme surgery <laughs> in, in human history, yeah, um, w- which could be problematic. Uh, but to make matters more confusing, the word that we translate as deep sleep uh, is tardema in Hebrew. And there's a great argument to be made that it's actually a visionary state and not an anesthetic sleep. Uh, and in fact, most translators throughout church history have taken this term to be a visionary state uh, in which uh, the person who's experiencing it is dead to the world in order to be alive to God's revelatory vision. Uh, that there's something, um, it's very different than a surgical sleep. There's actually something that God wants to show this person who he's uh, almost putting into a trance in, in a sense. And again, you see that sort of cover to cover in the way that Tardema is used. Uh, but in either case, as you read through the scriptures, you've got Adam made from dust, which has biblical significance. Uh, is that literal or is it a metaphysical statement about humanity's essence and humanity's identity? Is it some mix uh, of both? And then you've got Eve taken from Adam's side. And again, uh, just within the bounds of scripture, you're sort of wrestling with well, is that a vision? Is it literal? Or is it both? Uh, The text, again, is just not as clear uh, as I wish that it was. And so clearly the primary takeaway as you're reading through Genesis is that humans are made by God and we're made mortal. Uh, We are made in God's image. Men and women are ontological equals because Eve came from Adam's side. Um, that's uh, That's the central heartbeat of Genesis. Uh, The question becomes from the biblical side, hey, is that the only thing that Genesis is trying to tell us? Or is it also trying to give us scientific information as well? And if it is, okay, well, how much scientific information is it trying to convey? Uh, And I can honestly say, after studying this stuff in seminary and reading about it constantly, that I 
don't know. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't. The, the central theological truth of Genesis uh, comes through loud and clear. I, I, a six-year-old could read the text and come away with an accurate picture of God and humanity. Uh, Genesis does the theological work that it was intended to do. It's very effective at conveying the message uh, that it's meant to convey. But, but when, when we look to it for scientific information, we just have to pause for a moment and kind of ask, hey, how much scientific information is this uh, designed to give us? So, uh, Matthew, any closing thoughts? Yeah, I, uh, I agree with your main point there. I mean, I think that's beautifully put that um, I, I'm kind of of the same sort of conclusion that you have there that uh we need to think about the purpose of genesis and and what is trying to be explained and what we really need um to hold firmly to you know what what is sort of the uh die on a hill battle what is Mm -hmm. genesis trying to say and i think you nailed it that um God did the creating, mm-hmm. that he created humanity to have a special relationship with him, and he's set up everything uh, for that purpose. And uh, I, I take it, um, not to say a step further, but in, in addition to, I think mm-hmm. that the Bible needs to be scientifically accurate. Mm-hmm. It needs to reflect truth about, or agree with the truth that we find in God's nature that he's created. Right, But to say that it is a scientific textbook mm-hmm. and it's it's outlining all of this information for us, I think is is too far. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was written thousands of years ago mm-hmm. to be applicable to all humans at all times. Right, exactly. And I think that it's genius that uh, the way that it's worded, that it can be. Mm-hmm. You know, that it was well understood and that it, it fit fine with the way that they understood the world to mm-hmm. be. And again, the central idea is... God creating from nothing, mm-hmm. God g- breathing the breath of life into mm-hmm. humans, yeah. creating us in his image. Yeah, um, and, and it is remarkable what yeah. you just said. If you think about the sheer variety of human cultures that even exist in the world today, let alone throughout history, and yet you could drop Genesis into any culture in any time in mm-hmm. any place, and they will receive the truth about God and, and humanity's role in God's story. Yeah, And that's profound. Like That's beautiful. It's and awesome. so... I recognize that as a 21st century Westerner, I'm going to come to the text with certain presuppositions about what it's designed to tell me. And I don't want to be overly scientific in that. Right. And I don't want to swing the other way and just assume it has nothing to tell us on on the other hand. And so that's what you're doing is kind of fine tuning that balance and saying, well, it wasn't written to me and it wasn't written as a scientific textbook, Mm -hmm. but... Is that fair to go all the way to the other side and say, well, this is only telling us about humanity's essence. Right. It doesn't give us anything. Yeah. You know, because you get to there and you start to feel like, well, wait a second. Well, is what that, can we trust? Wait, right. Yeah. Like what, what? So for me, like when I read about Adam and Eve, um, I get stuck on this pre-human ancestor thing because I just think, hey, if we really came from pre-human ancestors, would, would, Genesis have been written that way, mm-hmm. you know, like, okay, I, I get that like the primary significance of dust right. is mortality. I get that Eve is coming from Adam's side as, as an ontological equal. I get mm-hmm. that that's the heartbeat. But if we really, if, if God really just 
you know, had this moment of if he sparked this evolutionary jump in mm -hmm. a single, even if it was in a single generation or right. moment of time, right. hey, Adam and Eve truly are the first humans, but it's by this sort of evolutionary jump, almost like they're born from non-human parents, right. but they themselves are yeah. homo sapiens sapiens. Yeah, I'm with um, if that was how it was done, then I look back at Genesis and think, wait a second, but if, that, if that's really how God, and God could have done it sure. that way, yeah. But if he did it that way, why would Genesis be written the way that it is? It becomes a pretty awkward yes. reading at that point. Right, right, yeah, right. I would so agree. I, and, I uh, sense the tension there. From my perspective, so um, I'll kind of go on that and then jump back to a, a thought I had mm -hmm. for a second. Yeah. Um, I agree with you because it, it really seems to say that Eve came from Adam. And mm -hmm. Adam spends a period of time tending the garden, naming the animals you know, right. in the absence of Eve, mm -hmm. right? And and then it doesn't say, well, God grabbed some dust and made Eve mm -hmm. through the same process that he made right, Adam. You right, know, right. she had some other non-human parents and oh, breathed right. life separately <laughs> into her, you know, because he could have done it that right, way yeah, if yeah, it was yeah. that sort of level of naturalistic process that right, he then right, kind right. of directs. Mm -hmm. But it, it's not. It's mm -hmm. pulled from Adam's side forms her and then he is just wowed yeah you know, like totally. oh finally you yeah know, this is my equal. this is, this my, is what yeah. I, this is who i've been looking this is who i've been here. looking for through all your creation you know right and uh so to step back for a second to the the idea that i think the bible should be scientifically scientifically consistent mm -hmm. with what we see in the world if the genesis account were to say that humans were created first and then fish and then plants and and oh, got right, things right, like right. totally out of order from right, what we see, right, right. I think that would be a significant challenge right, right, to right. just saying, well, I can interpret Genesis in the right way. Right. Or if it, it said like, hey, the human beings were made first and they helped God create all right. the other animals. Absolutely. Like, Wait a second. Like, hold this on. doesn't match up with anything. This seems yeah. totally bonkers, right? Right. But when we look through it, whether you take a, a poetic version or a young earth creationist uh, interpretation or one that I'm mostly... Um, probably most compelled by would be uh, a day-age sort of interpretation, oh, right. but yeah, still yeah. Uh, what's called progressive creationism, mm -hmm. where God's using these long periods of time, but doing special creation on each of them. Mm -hmm. All of those line up with the, the sort of basic chronology. No matter which way you read exactly. Genesis. Yeah. Life goes from simple to complex. Totally. Plants come around before fish, which right. come around before mammals, and all right. this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So Human beings are the newcomer, exactly. which is what we've been yeah, talking even, about. You know, like, no, matter no matter what your no interpretation you of science is right, or right, Bible, right. They humans line are brand up with new. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that's where those are the sorts of things where I'm like, that's the big picture science stuff that the Bible certainly got right. Mm -hmm. And so wherever you land on the question of well, how much science is in the Bible, that's still pretty gray area. Well, I'm not sure exactly how direct and literal and all, and all that I ought to take it but I, I really think that that's very compelling evidence that mm. it is consistent with what we see even if we're sort of allowed multiple interpretations right right, right. yeah yeah so I'm not sure if there's going to be like a, a perfect way to tie all of this off um, really um, other than to say that as Christians we're just going to wrestle with hey what do we think uh, Genesis is conveying uh, how much or how little scientific information is it conveying and I think you're easily going to have people you grab four or five Christians I think you're easily going to find some variety in there of saying hey I think this is 
um, you know, that Adam and Eve were created in, in a moment that they had no human precursor, that they're instantly, you know, culturally and linguistically formed and, and all of that. Uh, and then other people who say, well, I, I don't know. Um, it, and, and kind of find people all over the map. And ultimately, we're all going to agree that God did it um, and that, that he's the one responsible. And ultimately, I think we're all going to agree that God could have done it any way that he wanted. And so any one of these theories or any ways that you can imagine it in your mind happening, well, of course, God could have done it that way. Um, but the, the real thing that kind of brings us back, I think, is going to be the text of Genesis and just wrestling with it, having the open hands, open heart, open Bible saying, what, what is this? Uh, it's beautiful, but, but what is God trying to tell us through it? And I think that's kind of a, an anchor for many and a stumbling block for others when they come into the debate, because it's really easy in the big picture to say, hey, um, you know, intelligent design just makes more sense off the scientific evidence than uh, atheism does. And we could have that whole thing and say, oh yeah, everyone should, should kind of jump in that direction and, and fall toward the intelligent design side. The evidence lines up beautifully that way. But then you're going to have this next level of, de- of debate and discussion, which is kind of what we've been having, which is, okay, well, what do you do with Genesis? Um, and, and how do you fit it all together? So um, on that front, if you would like some uh, recommended resources on this topic, uh, a couple of the ones I found really helpful, uh, the book Genesis Unbound by John Sailhammer. Um, and The Lost World of Genesis 2 uh, by a guy named John Walton. Uh, found them both to be very thought-provoking books uh, which examine uh, the Hebrew language primarily and suggest that sometimes when we read Genesis, we just kind of miss the point. Uh, and so even if you don't wholeheartedly agree with Sailhammer uh, or Walton, I think those are great uh, books that kind of open you up to kind of the, the culture of that day and the, the aspects of Genesis being an ancient document that we now try and interpret. Um, and I know I've certainly been um, guilty uh, of missing the point of Genesis. And anytime we enter into the the sort of science faith debates on Genesis, we risk missing the point, which is this really profound thing God wanted to convey to all cultures for all time. Um, and so uh, in closing, I would say uh, continue to ask really good questions and engage with science and the text of scripture. Uh, be aware of the places where naturalism uh, has kind of tried to hijack science for itself on the one hand, uh, but also be aware on the other side of biblical interpretations that sometimes attempt to kind of steamroll over the details and beauty of Genesis in order to get uh, cleaner answers or to erase ambiguity. Uh, If there is a flawless interpretive path through Genesis 1 and 2, I have yet to find it. Uh, And yet there are going to be certain interpretations that hold more water than others. And so this is why we lovingly and humbly uh, kind of come together to sort through this stuff. But uh, at the end of the day, as followers of Jesus, we believe Genesis to be true and inspired. Uh, We believe it conveys profound and accurate information about God and his role in creation. And we believe it conveys profound and accurate information about humanity's purpose and our role in God's story. Uh, We believe that God created us, that every single human being from Adam and Eve and on down the line to you and me was created by God, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are made in God's image and in his likeness. And every single human being is not only worthy of our dignity and respect as as the crowning jewel of God's creation, uh, but we are also capable of receiving 
uh, eternal life from God himself. Uh, and we believe that we believe that God gave us this life, that he's the author of life, but that he longs to give us uh, eternal life in the age to come as well. And so uh, between now and then, uh, we've got some fun stuff to kind of debate and, and wrestle with uh, along the way. But uh, ultimately, we're here uh, and we believe that we're here to uh, bring God glory. That brings us to the conclusion of our Faith and Science mini-series. I hope that was helpful for those of you who sent in questions, and uh, we will end as usual with a blessing. This is Romans 15. Uh, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the Q&A podcast. If you have questions you'd like answered, text in your question to 208-503-3865.